Parshas Perchas has the story of the Benos Tzalafchad. The Tzalafchad had died leaving daughters, five daughters, no sons. The laws of Yerusha had apparently not yet been explicitly given, given to the people, written down in the Torah. The daughters of Tzalafchad, five daughters of Tzalafchad, made an appeal to Moshe, to the General Assembly, made an appeal that they should receive their father's portion of the land of Eretz Canaan, Lama Nigara, our father left our father left no sons, we should inherit in the place of any sons he would have had. Moshe brought the matter to Hashem, and Hashem answered in the affirmative, Cain Benoslavka Dovros, they are correct, they, they their their claim is is just, is proper, and they shall be given a, a portion of the inheritance of the land of Canaan, that their, their claim was honored. Chazal had a very high opinion of the Bnos Tzlafchad. Chazal say a number of things about them, all of which are positive, all of which are flattering. He says that the, the, the Gemara, the Bavli and Sechus Baba Basra, as well as the Sifrei, it says, really, it's unusual that this is one of the relatively few parshias in the Torah that are written in response to a certain person that weren't just given directly from Moshe like the rest of the Torah. We have a couple of examples, Pesach Sheni and the Brot and, and the So the Gemara says, the Sifri says, really, it should have been given by Moshe. El Shezachu B'Not Yadan. It was because of their schus, they, they were righteous women, deserving women, and they got the merit of having a parsha in the Torah uh, given, given on, on their behalf, given in response to their question. Why were, what was their schus? What was their, what, what did they do that, what did they do that, that, that gave them a schus? So, so, so the, the Midrash in the Sifri says that they, they loved Eretz Yisrael. It says, They were descendants of Menashe, the son of Yosef. Just like Yosef loved Eretz Yisrael, so too Benos Tzalafchad loved Eretz Yisrael, Yosef loved Eretz Yisrael. Presumably that's what he, that, that's, he asked to have his bones, his remains, returned to Eretz Canaan after when the Jews left. And Benos Tzalafchad, they loved Eretz Yisrael. Apparently, according to Chazal, when they made their appeal to receive a, a share in Eretz Canaan, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't materialism, it wasn't their desire for for temporal riches, for land, for, for money, that what they wanted was they loved Eretz Yisrael. This is the, the counterpoint to a couple of parashiyos ago. We had the story of the Meraglim, the story of the Meraglim that uh, that the Jewish people spurned the land, and this is the opposite that the this is the opposite that they that they loved that that, that, that they loved they loved Eretz, that, that they loved Eretz Canaan. And the midrash explicitly contrasts this to the, the midrash explicitly contrasts this. It, sa- it says they, they were massacring what the what, what 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 the men had how the men had erred. It says that the the men the men spurned Eretz Canaan and they and, and they and, and they wanted Eretz Canaan. They wanted the land. They were they were the the it, the, the midrash says Rabbi Nasan Omer Yafekach Nashimikach Anashim. The women behaved in a superior manner to the men. The men said that, that we want to return to Mitzrayim. The women said, no, we want to, we want Eretz Canaan. The Benot Tzalafchad said, they said that on the contrary, they, they want to go to Eretz Canaan. They, 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 they don't want to go back to Mitzrayim. This, uh, they, this was in the story of the Meraglim, where the people were panicking and were uh, had given up hope on being able to on being able to return to on being able to make it into Eretz Canaan so the okay obviously there's a distinction the, the Jews were saying it at a moment of panic where they had just had a very uh, ominous report from the Meraglim this was 40 years later they learned their lesson the Benos Tzalafchad were wasn't, it wasn't quite at the same time but nevertheless the Midrash holds up Benos Tzalafchad in a very favorable contrast to that of the the, the men, the men in the in the Dar Hamidbar, the men spurned Eretz Canaan. They did not have faith in a Kodesh Baruch Hu. The women, like the women as, as personified by Benos Tzalafchad, wanted to wanted to enter 
wanted to enter Eretz Canaan, and they are rewarded for that, or Chibi Vesa'aretz, and that's why, that's why they were Zelchet to have this parsha attributed to them. The, the, the framing is theirs. They were the one who posed the question, and the answer was given in response to them. Not only was it their specific question about what happens when a man has no sons, but the entire laws of Yerusha, the, 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 the Hashem statement in response to Benoz Tzalafchad, is the entire biblical framework of Yerusha is all stated in that parsha in response to the petition of, petition of Benoz Tzalafchad. The Chazal tell us, Benoz Tzalafchad, Chachmani Yosein, Darshani Yosein, Tzidkani Yosein. They were wise. The, the Gemara is going to explain it means they were wise in legal reasoning and halachic argumentation. Darshanios means they were able to be Doresh the Psukim, they were able to engage in the hermeneutics through which the oral law is connected, is derived from the Psukim. Tzidkanios saying they were righteous, and it gives different, it gives different aspects of their conduct that illustrate these, all these qualities. How do we know they were wise? Because their, their legal reasoning was acute. It says that how do they, how do they, make, their, how do they make their petition? What, what, what do they do? So it says, Moshe Rabbeinu was Yoshev Adoresh B'Parshas Yivamim. Moshe was teaching the law of Yibam, of lever and marriage. They're not actually written until Parshas, until Dvarim, but it says that Moshe was teaching the law of Yibam, that the, if a man dies childless, then his, then his mother, then his wife is uh, subject to Yibam by, by, by her husband's brother, her brother-in-law. So they said, they told Moshe, they, they raised their hand and they said, and they told Moshe, they said, look, we have, a, we, we have a logical question for you. They said, our father died, he had no sons, but he had us, he had daughters. If we are considered like sons, we should inherit. And if not, if, if, if we're not considered sons, then it's as if our father had no issue. If we don't count for Yerusha, we shouldn't count for Yibam either. And our mother should do Yibam. So they told Moshe, pick a side. Either we're considered like, uh, it has to be one or the other. What they would have gained by their mother doing Yibam, I'm not sure. To read, to read the commentaries on the Gemara, but the, basically they, they, they made an acute legal argument to Moshe. They said that if you're going to say our mother doesn't do Yibam, that means that we're considered like, like uh, we're considered proper issue, in which case we deserve to inherit. So they made, a, they made a logical argument to Moshe. The Gemara doesn't say directly whether this argument was correct or not, but la'alacha, they were correct. La'alacha, they were indeed correct that they, that they inherit if, insofar as they have no brothers, they do inherit. Darshanios, they were able to be Darish Psukim. How do we know that? So the because the Gemara says, because the, the Gemara reads into their petition, it says that they said, uh, had we had a son, had we had a brother, had our father had a son, they said they said our father died, Ubain Ainlo, and he doesn't have a and and, and 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 he doesn't have a son. They were conceding that had he had a son, they understood that had he had a son, they understood that the that they wouldn't inherit. Not sure how that was based on being Darish Psukim. This is the Pasuk that we learned, Bain Ainlo, that these were the Psukim. But apparently the Gemara understands that this point as well, this point as well, the, this point as well is, is based on their ability to be Darish Psukim. So they were Talmudic scholars, they were legal scholars, they, they were able to make cogent arguments for which they're praised to Moshe Rabbeinu, and they were actually correct. Their, 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 their overall petition was correct. Tudkaniya saying they were righteous women. How do we see that? That, the Talmud says, has nothing to do with uh, their original petition. That has to do with the fact that, even though we said the original petition itself evinced a, a love of Eretz Yisrael, which is uh, a praiseworthy quality, but Tzidkanios, the Gemara says, a different uh, aspect of their conduct. It says, Shlonisu el they, they, married, they, they married late. It says even the youngest one didn't marry until she was 40 years old. They were very selective. Some people call this picky when single girls don't get married. That's other, other people call it selective. The Gemara here calls it selective. They, were, they, 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 they knew the, they, they had their priorities. They, they, they knew the, that, that they should marry appropriate people. And the Gemara calls them Fidkanios. Next time you see a woman who's not getting married and people are getting impatient with her, the Gemara says they waited till they were 40 because they wanted the right husbands. That's called Sidkanios, the Gemara says. They were righteous women because they, 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 they prioritize marrying someone worthy rather than marrying someone uh, easy to find or a, or a superficially good catch. They wanted to marry someone who was appropriate. So again, so the, Gemara, the Gemara has all these, the Gemara, the Midrash, the Sifrei as well, largely overlapping. Has all these, uh, it's all all these encomiums of Benos Tzalafchad. 
nothing bad about them. Everything, everything is positive. And uh, again, that, 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 that's the attitude of Benos, toward Benos Salafcha and Chazal were very approving of them and their conduct. Now, in the past, we've spoken of, we've spoken of the fact that they were uh, you know, sort of proto-feminists. They, they were demanding their rights as women, that they should be not quite equal to men. They conceded that had they had brothers, they wouldn't inherit, but they wanted at least... They wanted at least a certain amount of, uh, a certain level of, of, of rights, of economic rights. I want to focus tonight on a different aspect of their, of their character, of their conduct, and that is the fact that they are, they are, certainly according to Chazal, they are among the very first women in, in our nation who are recorded as knowing Torah. I don't know if they studied Torah, they learned Torah, apparently they made, uh, they made sharp legal arguments, they were Darshanios, they were Chachmanios, the Benos Salafchad were among the very first notable women in Aramisara who studied Torah. We know, certainly historically, we know from the Talmud, from history, from the Shulchan Aruch, we know that women did not generally receive, uh, receive much of a Torah education. There are exceptions that prove the rule, as we'll discuss soon. So I want to, I want to discuss, for the remainder of our, of our time tonight, discuss a little more about this, go through some of the... It's obviously a uh, controversial and provocative topic, but we'll go through some of the basic, basic important sources on, on this question about the propriety of women learning Torah, of, teach, of teaching women Torah. And again, Pnos Tzalafkan are apparently among the very first that we know of who are recorded as having an understanding of, of Jewish law, which is Torah. And uh, again, there's no criticism of them. They are praised for it. They're, they're, they're praised for their for being Chachmanios and and uh, Darshanios. There are two main Talmudic texts that discuss women learning Torah. One is a Bavli in Kedushin, and the other is a Mishnah and a Bavli in Sota. In Kedushin, there's a famous section toward the end of the first parak. The Gemara discusses mitzvah sa'av ben the obligations that a father has toward his sons. So he has various obligations, Brismila, Pidjina Ben. One of his obligations is to teach his son Torah. So the Gemara says that a father has to teach his son Torah. A mother does not have the formal obligation to teach her son Torah. There are other places we talk about Al-Titosh Tarasimecha, where the mother, in some important sense, imparts Hashkafa to her son, imparts living Judaism. But in terms of the formal obligation in an academic sense, to teach the son Torah, that is the father's obligation, not the mother's. And the Gemara Dashim Zephram Sukkim, the Gemara says that the, the, the Gemara says the, the, the fact that the mother is not obligated to teach her son Torah is derived from the fact that it, that it says the, the source of obligation to teach your son Torah is the Limadetemo Samas Pedechem Bam, you shall teach your son's Torah. We Dashim Vilimadetem Ulamadetem, there's a Hekish, there's a a linkage here between learning Torah and teaching Torah. Anyone who's obligated to learn Torah is obligated to teach Torah to his or her children. Anyone who is not obligated to learn Torah is not obligated to teach Torah. Women are not obligated to learn Torah, so they're not obligated to teach Torah. How do you know they're not obligated to learn Torah? So the Gemara says that the... Because, again, we we in reverse. Anyone who is... Someone is supposed to teach him, he has a mitzvah to teach himself. Anyone who there's no mitzvah for someone else to teach him, there's no mitzvah for him to teach himself. Women, there's no obligation on the father to teach them, the daughters. Therefore, they have no obligation to teach themselves. How do you know the father has no obligation to teach daughters? That's also a drasha. So based on these drashas, the Talmud says, a woman, a woman has no obligation to teach her child. A woman, a woman there is no obligation on the father to teach his daughter and a woman has no obligation to teach herself. So three halachas. A, wim, a woman has no obligation herself to study Torah, a woman has no obligation to teach her child, son, or daughter Torah, and a father has no obligation to teach his daughter Torah. Yes? Can't mean children? Yes, pointing out that b'nechem, of course, biblically can sometimes mean children in general. Hebrew is a gendered language. Words are typically zachar or nekeva. But there is a general rule that, that when you use uh, a default, when you use an unspecified person or a plural that includes both, we do typically use, Hebrew doesn't have neutral terms, so, this, so when, when you use a word that includes both or that includes an unspecified individual, we do often use the word ben or bunim. 
to mean uh, kids in general. So what the Gemara's drush is, how the Gemara knows, that's a good question. But, that, but, what, what, but whatever the, the exact rules of this drush are, the, those are the holdings of the Gemara, that there is no obligation for a woman to learn Torah, there's no obligation for a father to teach his daughter Torah, and there is no obligation for a mother to teach her child, son, or daughter Torah. Nothing about any prohibition here on, on, on the women learning or teaching Torah, but obligation, obligation they don't have. The question about the prohibition to teach women Torah, that comes up in a very, uh, a very uh, curious context. That comes up in Masechah Sota. In Masechah Sota, the, the Masechah discusses the Sota ritual that we read a few parashiyas ago in Baloscha, about in um, in in, um, in Parshas Naso, I think, about the <coughs> about about the ritual of the Sota. So the Sota, if she was unfaithful, she drinks the water and then she dies. Normally, the Mishnah says she dies instantaneously on the spot. However, if she if she has a, if she has chus, if she has certain merits, then she may not die right away. She'll die eventually, but she won't die right away. That's what the Mishnah says. And from that introduction, the Mishnah starts talking about whether a woman should learn Torah. With that background, the Mishnah says that Ben Azai says, Mikan Amr Ben Azai, a man should, Chayev, a man must teach his daughter Torah, because let's say the woman becomes a Sota, and then she doesn't die right away. She might be inclined to say, oh, I guess the Torah is full of lies, it's all, it's all, uh, it's all myth, and, and it's all made up. I, I was guilty, I didn't die. She'll think, she's, uh, she'll think that she has refuted the Torah. But Azai says, no, she has to learn this halacha, that if she has a schus, she'll be, she might be tola, she'll be protected, and she won't come to cast aspersions on the veracity of the Torah. Yes? Let's say her husband won't know. Yeah, so the Simcha wants to know, in, in the case of Schus Tola, where she doesn't die right away, we learned, we, we, we covered this previously, that, that the Gemara explains that Sota is all about restoring Shalom Bayez, it's supposed to be able to restore harmony to the home, so if she doesn't die, how do we know if she's actually innocent, or if she's just, uh, the Schus is being Tola? She does start to degenerate, I think, so, okay, that's a good question, I'm not sure the full answer to that offhand, but in any event, the Benazay says that a woman has to learn Torah in order, a father has to teach his daughter Torah, so she shouldn't cast aspersions on the efficacy of the Mesota. A very strange reason. Of all the advantages to learning Torah, Torah is full of such wonderful things. It teaches us law, it teaches us ethics, it teaches us faith, it teaches us about Akash Baruch Hu, it teaches us about the nature of Klal Yisrael. The Torah teaches us so many important lessons, so, so much wisdom, and the one thing the girl has to learn, the one thing that uh, her, her education will be incomplete if she doesn't know this, is the fact that she may not die right away if she, uh, if she drinks the soda water. That was the one thing that's absolutely imperative for her to know about Torah. If not for this, it wouldn't be so important to teach her Torah. But as I says, because it's absolutely crucial that she know this important detail about the laws of Sota, therefore, that's what, this, that's what determines we actually must teach, even though the Limaritimos Mes Benechem, Benechem, Blobrosechem, because of this concern that she not cast aspersions on the Sota water, that's why we have to teach her Torah. Yes? So, the mission goes on, however. Rebeliezer disagrees. Rebeliezer disagrees with Benazai, and he says, he, he is opposed to teaching daughters Torah. He says, Anyone who teaches his daughter Torah, it's as though he teaches her promiscuity or nonsense or frivolous things. It is inappropriate. Yes? Yeah, Simcha's saying this particular knowledge is crucial. Everything else is, is helpful and makes her into a good person. Maybe this is somehow acute. There's an acute need that she should know this. But Rebbe Lezer disagrees. Rebbe Lezer says, if you teach your daughter Torah, that is teaching her Tiflis. What does that mean? What is Tiflis? Why is teaching someone Torah? That sounds like such an utterly bizarre thing to say. The Torah, which is the, the emes and the, the word of God and the and the, the soul of our nation, Israel, the Torah is Tiflis. The says, what does that even mean? It's Tiflis. Of course it's not Tiflis, but it's as though you taught her Tiflis. Why is it as though you taught her Tiflis? What does that even mean? So the Gemara 
gives a reason. The Gemara's reason leaves, uh, leaves us with about as much of a question as we had before the Gemara's reason. My time on Rebbe Eliezer, the Gemara says, Dechsev ani chachma shachanti arma. I, wisdom, it says in Mishle, I, wisdom, I dwell with arma, with cunning. So wisdom, cunning is the, cunning is the, the, the flip side of the coin. Chachma, wisdom is a good thing. It teaches us to be, to be, wisdom is a good thing to have. Cunning, wisdom used in a, for a perverted end. That's something, that's how the Gemara understands the Pasuk. It's not so good. So Chachma and Arma go together. So men apparently can be trusted to study Chachma and not uh, descend into Arma. Women, well, the Gemara says, when a person, man or woman apparently, learns Chachma, he gains Arma as well. And therefore, somehow, for a woman in particular, we are concerned that if the Torah teaches her Chachma, it will teach her Arma, it will teach her some kind of cunning, an inappropriate cunning. Rashi says she'll do Averis, but because she'll have Arma, she'll be able to get away with it. That's what we don't want. Why is it not a concern for a man? Not so clear. But women were concerned. Don't teach them Torah, because the Torah has Chachma. Chachma is good, but it's adjacent to Arma. Arma is bad. The, the cunning of Arma will, 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 will be bad for women. Therefore, don't teach them Torah. Very, very strange thing to say. Previously, we mentioned that the, 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 the most imperative re- reason Benazai can think of to learn Torah is that it'll teach them important information about the Sota ritual. That's the crucial reason. All the other wisdom in Torah is apparently not essential for her to know, but this thing about Sota is critical. And now Rabbi Lazarus' reason is also uh, very, very strange. That all the, all the good of Torah, somehow, if you teach Torah to women, it'll teach them Arma, and it'll cause them to misbehave and get away with misbehavior. And that's a reason not to teach them Torah. Yes? Yeah, so the, the, perhaps the reason is men, men will learn Arma as well, but maybe, maybe, maybe we assume that men somehow can be trusted to, to not misuse the... With great power comes great responsibility. Men somehow can be trusted. Women can be less trusted. Not entirely clear, but this is what... Yeah. The, yes? Rabbi Gresham, yes. sorry to interrupt you. Yes. Uh, it's Linda. So, but there are aspects of Torah that a woman must know. I mean, like... Yes. Yes, yes, that, that is an excellent point. The, 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 the point is that there are certain things, besides the laws of Sota, there are certain very, very practical halachas that women must know, that many, many, many areas of halacha women must know. Much of the practical halacha we do today, women are obligated as much as men. All the, all the laws of kashrut, all the laws of family purity, the, the laws of brachas, you know, many, 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 many halachas are relevant to women. And yes, and it's absolutely correct, and we'll discuss that soon. Yes. So this, this is the Mishnah and the Gemara. The Mishnah and the Gemara say that the, the, the Mishnah brings the, 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 the in Kedushin, the Bavli says women don't have to learn Torah, they don't have to teach Torah, they don't have to learn Torah, they don't have to teach their children Torah. As to whether they, they should learn Torah, whether it's a good idea or not, Benazai thinks it is a good idea, although the reason he gives is a very, uh, a very odd reason. Rabbi Ezra says they should definitely not learn Torah because also a reason not entirely clear, but they can somehow pervert the Torah and to make things worse than if they hadn't learned Torah. Tosis brings to you Rishalmi. Another question. Another, yes. Another question. Um, I don't know, as, as, as a, a parent, a mother, like if the husband's out learning all the time, the, the mother's really involved in the initial education of, of what it is to be a Torah Jew. So wouldn't that make it necessary for her to know? Yes. Right, so that, 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 that's, an, that, that's an important point as well, that, uh, that the, the, the argument is being made that even, even if we'll say that the woman can observe all the halachas she has to know without learning Torah, she'll learn enough uh, to, 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 get her, to get along in her daily, daily routine. And even though it's technically the father's job to teach his son Torah, but, but the, way, the way society works, typically the father is not available all day to teach his son Torah. The father goes out to work or he goes out to learning yeshiva. And the son, certainly, the children, certainly at a, at a young age, are in the care of the mother. And the mother will be the one who teaches them the first things they know. And the, at some point, they, in today's society, they start going to school. But even then, the, the mother often does the homework with them. The, the, the mother often talks to them when the father's out and busy. So even in a very egalitarian couple where, where both spouses share the burden, but the, the mother will have some of the burden, 
even if, even if they manage to split everything very, very equally, but surely the mother will have some influence on her young children, so isn't it important for the mother to learn Torah in order to be able to impart uh, some amount of Torah to the children? Also a good question. We, we aren't going to get into that as much tonight, but that, that, that is also a good point. Yes. Tosis brings a Yerushalmi. Tosis on this Gemara and Sota brings a Yerushalmi that uh, another very uh, provocative thing. It says that a certain woman once asked Rabbi Elazar a question about the Egel. He said, how come? She said, how come the, 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 there were three different types of deaths that people died? Magefa, and, 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 and some were executed, some died in the Magefa, some drank the water and died. Why did they die three different ways if it was one sin? He told her, Ein isha chachama ela bepelach. He told her dismissively, don't, don't, don't try to be an intellectual, don't try to be smart. Women only have chachma when it comes to the distaff work, the things like spinning wool and so on. So Hyrcanus' son, Rabbi Lazar had a son named Hyrcanus. He said, you, because you didn't want to tell her Torah, you were, so, you were so committed to this principle of not teaching Torah to a woman, you offended her, you insulted her. And I've lost, she was apparently a patron of his, she used to give me 300 kur, she was rich, she used to give me 300 kur of maser, and now she cut me off. Is this really such an important principle that you had to, to, to make an example of me to, to do this? He said, yes, it is an important principle. He said, Yisrafu divrei Torah, better that divrei Torah should be burned, rather than that we teach Torah to women. Again, no real explanation of why this is so bad, what, what was so bad about teaching a little bit of Torah, a little bit of Chumash, a little bit of Midrash to a, uh, to a woman? Again, somewhat mysterious. Yes? Yes, the Pirkei Avos. Simcha's mentioning Pirkei Avos. And uh, generally speaking, women do learn certain types of Torah. Women across their religious spectrum today learn certain types of Torah. Women in more, in more modern circles learn a great deal. They learn many of the things men learn. They even learn Gemara and so on. Women in more traditional conservative circles, you know, in, in kind of moderate yeshiva world uh, circles, learn some amount of Torah. They learn uh, a lot of mikra. They learn mefarshim mikra. They learn agada, midrash, perkeyavas. They, they don't learn gemara halacha as much. In even more extreme circles, they don't, they don't even learn you know, mikra and 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 uh, and those things rigorously. So there are, but they, everyone learns something. Almost ev- everyone or almost everyone today learns something. And we'll discuss some of the sources on this as well. Again, th- th- this is obviously a uh, large topic, which we are not exactly going to treat comprehensively today. But yes, that is certainly true that women pretty much across the ideological spectrum today do learn certain types of Torah. And again, we'll, 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 we'll cover some of the, the details of this, some of the background of this too. So the first question we have to ask ourselves is, how do we pass it? The Mishnah brought a machlokas, Ben Azai and Rabbi Eliezer. Ben Azai says, you should teach your daughter's Torah. Rebeliezer says it's a very bad thing to teach your daughter's Torah. Most, most poskim, not all, but most poskim, poskim like Rebeliezer, that you should not teach your daughter Torah. The Rambam is the most notable of this group, and later poskim follow the Rambam. Rambam writes, a woman who learns Torah does get schar. It, learning Torah is objectively a mitzvah. So not as much schar as a man, because she's not commanded, but she does get schar. However, he says, even though she gets char, the Chachamim ordered that a person should not teach Torah to his daughter, like Rabbi Eliezer. He really liked everybody there so much. He says that the he says that a person should not Chachamim said a person should not teach Torah to his daughters. Why? He doesn't give the reason of Rashi because it leads to cunning and to deviousness. He says a different reason, also not so uh, easy to swallow to the modern sensibility, but he says. They aren't capable, they aren't qualified to understand Torah properly, and therefore they, 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 they will misunderstand the Torah, they, 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 they will twist the Torah in the wrong way, and that's, uh, that's not the right way to learn Torah. Women are not able, able or not, are not, suited, are not, are not well suited for learning Torah. Brings the Mishnah, anyone who teaches his daughter Torah is teaching her Tiflis, then he makes a famous distinction between Torah Shabalpeh and Torah Shabachsav. He says, Medvar Mamurim Torah Torah the primary, the most acute objection is the Torah Shabalpeh. Torah it's still not recommended, still he shouldn't teach her Lechatchila, but in Limadah, if he does teach her, Eina Kimla Medas Tiflis. It's not as bad, it's not Tiflis. 
The Rambam says you still shouldn't teach her anything, but if you're going to teach her anything, it should be Torah Shabbat Torah Shabbat is not as bad as Torah Shabbat This Rambam was, again, the, one wonders if some of the attitudes toward Torah may have been cultural at all, depending on the, the overall attitudes of the time, but be that as it may, the Rambam Paskin this way, the Torah Paskins this way, the Shulchan Aruch Paskins this way, and by and large, this is, by and large, this is the consensus of Postkin. Now, one major exception, this is what someone mentioned earlier, one major exception is halacha, that, that they have to know the halacha, they have to know the practical things that are relevant to them. So, and that's, the Ramah Paskins like that. Various Rishonim say this, various Rishonim say, it's actually the Rishonim of Ashkenaz who, who are the ones who emphasize this, the Smag and the Augur and the Sefer Hasidim. It was Dafka the Rishonim of Ashkenaz who said that, the Rambam doesn't mention this, but the Rishonim of Ashkenaz said that it's obvious that they have to learn halacha that's relevant to them. The Sefer Hasidim, Rabbi Yudah Hasid, says a woman, one of, the leading, one of the leading authorities in Ashkenaz, he said a man is obligated to teach his daughters mitzvahs, like piske halachas. When it calls it tiflus, that means uh, certain depths of the Torah, the certain more certain deeper analytical aspects of Torah and the reasons for mitzvahs and so does the Torah, the, the mysteries of the Torah. That's what it means you don't teach women. But the practical halacha, he says, much of what we do today, much of our, much of our learning of Torah today is uh, outside the Hasidic world, those who study Kabbalah. Much of, much of Torah as it's learned today in yeshivas is halacha, is, uh, is what to do, what not to do. So the, the halacha itself is uh, they have to learn. He says, Hilchos mitzvahs yilamidla, for the obvious reason, for the reason that, that was mentioned earlier. How can you keep Shabbos if you don't know Hilcha Shabbos? And all mitzvahs, she has to learn the laws of mitzvahs. And he brings various proofs. He says in the time of Chizkiah, Chizkiah was one of the great, great kings of Yehuda, one of the great tzaddikim, one of the most righteous of all biblical figures. And the Talmud, when, when, it, when it praises the when it praises Chizkiah and the influence, the impact he had on his generation, it says... It says that, there, that men and women, adults and, and children, all knew even the laws of Taras and Kachim. They knew the most arcane, technical halachas. They knew everything. They didn't just learn some basic Hilchashabbos, some basic brachas. Every child, every woman, every man, woman, child, they knew everything. They knew all the ritual laws of Taras. They knew all the laws of Kachim. So the practical halacha, women are taught. Children are taught to the extent that they're able to. Women are certainly taught that they, that, that, that they knew everything, everything that was relevant to practical halacha, to actually fulfilling the Torah they learned. What they didn't learn was what he calls tameha mitzvos and sodos, that they didn't learn. But the halacha, that they learned. Yes? Okay. Simcha wants to know if they have to learn mitzvos that are only relevant for men, like wearing tefillin or things like that. So maybe not, but, uh, but by and large, much of halacha is relevant to men and women. We get to Perkyava soon. So get to Perkyava soon. He says that the. He says, furthermore, he says, he makes a very interesting point. He says, the, the Torah says, Parshas Hakel, the Torah says, Hakel Asa'am, Ha'anashim, Va'anashim, Va'ataf. It says, gather the whole nation, as we've discussed in the past, men, women, and children. They all have to learn. Everyone has to learn. Even though the Bavli seems to say the opposite. The Bavli says, Men come to learn, women come just to hear, or just prefer, or, or, or even just to, uh, or even just, the, 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 there, are different, there are different phrases in the Bavli why the women come at all, but Sefer Hasidim says, why do women come? Women come because they have to learn Torah, they have to learn the halacha, the, to the extent that, the, that Hakel consisted of reading portions of the Torah that had basic Torah outside of the secrets of the Torah that everyone has to learn, women have to learn that as well. Tapchem, Neshechem, they have to learn the mitzvahs, what to do, what not to do. He goes on, he says, fine, he says, and he brings another proof. He says, we read in the story of the Shunamis. It says the, the Shunamis was a great patron of Elisha, the Navi Elisha, and he, uh, he promised her a son in, in gratitude, in recompense for her, for her graciousness, for her, 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 her hospitality toward him. And then the son died, so she went to go, to, she went to Elisha to, to remonstrate with him, to, to beg him to... To, to, to restore her child, which he did, the famous nace, where he restored her child to life. So when the woman left, she, she saddled up her donkey to go travel to Elisha, it says her husband asked her, where are you going? He said, Why are you going to Elisha? It's not Rosh Chodesh, it's not Shabbos. And apparently they used to go to the Navi. The Navi would be Dari, she would teach Torah on those special occasions on Shabbos. Like the rabbi today says, uh, 
the, the, the rabbi makes a speech during Shacharis. So back then, the Navi would speak on Rosh Chodesh, on Shabbos, and, that, and, and she would go. Women would go as well. So he, so he was saying, it's not Shabbos today. There's no speech today. You know, why, where are you going? There's no sermon today. So why are you going to the Navi? That was his question. But you see, he says, that B'chodesh for Shabbos HaLeches, women did used to hear the drasha, which he assumes was Torah. Women learned Torah. And this, in general, was the position of various Chachmei Ashkenaz going down to the Ramah. In, the Shulchan Aruch just brings the Rambam that women shouldn't be taught Torah. But the, the Ramah says, but they have to learn the halachas. So, that, that, so that, that, that's the first major exception to the, the first, that's the first major exception to the, the idea that we don't teach Torah. They do have to learn halacha, they do have to learn the practical parts of Torah, and that encompasses quite a lot. According to the Sefer Hasidim, that encompasses much of Torah, except for what he calls Tameh HaMitzvos and Sodeh Torah. So, so just they don't have to learn. But uh, other than that, they have to learn the, even Taras and Kachim. They have to learn whatever aspects of halacha are practical, whatever, whatever parts of the Torah are living or are practiced in the world. They have to, they, they have to be taught those halachas. Okay. The, this discussion about teaching women Torah obviously came to a head about a century ago with the beginning of the Beit Yaakov movement. Historically, women were not really educated. They weren't educated in the Western world much, and they weren't educated in the, in the Jewish world much. There were certain exceptions that proved the rule. We'll, we'll, we'll touch on that soon. But in general, of course, uh, much as the, the, the non-Jews weren't, uh, much, as the, much as non-Jewish society didn't educate women, Jewish society didn't educate women either formally. But with, uh, with the Enlightenment, with modernity, women began to be educated. Women began to go to, go to school, even higher education. And the Jewish world had to react as well. And Sarah Schneer started the Beit Yaakov movement, and there were various other endeavors that have continued on to our day, all kinds of, all kinds of different programs and frameworks within the, the Orthodox community in which women are taught uh, Torah. Women study Torah, women are taught Torah. And again, you know, the entire books can and have been, have been written on these topics, and we're only going to scratch the surface. But one of the widely quoted comments written about a century ago on this topic on women learning Torah and how, and how these halachas should be applied in contemporary times is by the Chafetz Chaim. The Chafetz Chaim, of course, is one of the greatest poskim in the history of halacha. And he is, of course, of impeccably traditional uh, credentials. The Chafetz Chaim is uni- pretty much universally, as far as I know, revered and, uh, and held as being the one of the greatest poskim, one of the greatest chachamim of Aramisara. And the Chavetz Chaim, so, so many gedolim of the time, had to weigh in on the Beis Yaakov movement, including the Chavetz Chaim. The Chavetz Chaim, in a couple of places, he has a letter where he wrote regarding the Beis Yaakov movement, and he also writes in his commentary to the Gemara and Sota, the Chavetz Chaim writes that we have to educate women. Today we have to educate women. And he writes as follows, he writes, Kolzeh, this opposition, this negativity toward women studying Torah, he says, is bismanim shalafanenu, this applied in earlier times. Earlier times, there were more traditional societies. People stayed home. People stayed within the bosoms of their families. The, the traditions were very strong. And you know, that's what Filler on the Roof is all about, how they lived in a time where tradition was weakening and people were being exposed to the world. And the tradition was really, really strong. And, the, and, and a girl would grow up in her parents' home, he says. It would be fine. She would, be a, uh, she, would, she, would, she would carry on the family traditions, he says. And they didn't really have to teach Torah to them. They would just, they, they would just uh, be imbued with tradition and fidelity to it, and that would be fine. Today, he says, he says, the Masora of our, of, our, of our ancestors is very, very weak. It's become attenuated. People are not as committed to the ways of their, the old ways, the ways of their fathers. People don't live in the same place. They go away from them. They, 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 they uproot themselves and they travel elsewhere. There's that old uh, cliche about how most people in Europe were born and died within 10 miles of where they, of where they were born. The, the railroad, the Chavetz Chaim is saying people travel today. There, there's migrations. There, people move around more, he says. Their, their, their roots are much weaker than they used to be. Certainly, he says, uh, and certainly those girls who get higher education, they get, they, 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 or some education at least, they, 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 they learn the, the language and the, the writing of the, of the other nations, of the non-Jews, he says. They're going to have education from non-Jewish sources, he says. Not to teach them Torah, he says. Bevadai, absolutely, he says. Certainly, it is mitzvah rabbal alamdam chumash. It's a great mitzvah to teach them Torah. But what kind of Torah? Here's where the Chaz Chaim chooses his words carefully. He says it's a mitzvah to teach them what? To teach them chumash. 
Vagam Nevi'im Uksuvim, also the rest of Tanakh, also the, the other sacred writings, Umusrei Chazal, and even Tarash Baal Pei says, even the ethics of our sages, Kagon Masechus Avos, for example, Perkei Avos, that the mitzvah to teach them Perkei Avos, he says, Sefer Menorah Samar, Menorah Samar was one of the great, uh, great classics of Musr, Svardik work, Uchidome, and all this they have to learn so that they, so that they should be uh, infused with the truth of, the, of our tradition, of our holy tradition. In Lokane, he says, if we don't do this, then they'll, they'll depart from the way of God, and they'll, and they'll violate, they'll flout all the foundations of religion, chas v'shalom. So the Chavetz made an argument. Again, that he, made a, he made a kind of impassioned, pragmatic argument. He says, it is necessary to teach women to teach women Torah today, he says, at least some parts of Torah, he says, we have to compete with what they're getting in their secular studies. The, the tradition is, is badly attenuated. It's, it's all very unfortunate. The Chavetz Chaim seems to feel that the society of yore was, was, was much better, but the fact is, this is what it is today, he says, that the, the, the influence of the home and tradition is much less than it used to be. People travel, the people look for new ways, people go out into the world and they get secular education. Women, therefore, must have the, some degree of Torah education. And this is pretty much, in other words, exactly the, the animating idea of Sarah Schneer, that there must be some, she was also very traditional, but there has to be some education, at least, of women, some Torah education. Otherwise, there is no chance, there is no way that we can, that, that we can keep our women uh, believing it. We can keep them with, within the tradition, within Torah, within, we, we, we have to do it. So this is what the Chavetz Chaim said, therefore we have to teach them some level of Torah. Incidentally, I, I was just, uh, over the last few weeks, I, 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 was, I was working and speaking a little bit about the history of Bas Mitzvah in the United States, in the, in the West of the United States. So Bar Mitzvah is a pretty old tradition, it goes back at least a few hundred years, at least 500 years or so. Bas Mitzvah, Bat Mitzvah is a relatively recent phenomenon, it pops up a little bit in the 19th century, and then the 20th century, the, the last hundred years, is where bat mitzvah came into its own as a major rite of passage for Jewish girls, as a, similar to the bar mitzvah of boys. So for the last hundred years, that, that's when bat mitzvah became a major aspect of Jewish culture, to the extent that we just had a, a first granddaughter who just had a, a high-profile uh, bat mitzvah. Arabella Rose Kushner just had her bat mitzvah, so, when, when Bas Mitzvah was first introduced, there was actually a, fair, a, great, a great deal of controversy about it. Some of the more traditional poskim, including Ramosha Feinstein, were quite opposed to it. They felt, not clear exactly why, some of the reasons they objected were because they felt it was an attempt to, to copy Christian ideas. The Christians have confirmation for boys and girls as teenagers. Some of them felt it was a Christian thing. They felt it was a form of assimilation. So they had various reasons why they objected to bas mitzvah, and partly because it, it was not a traditional Jewish thing. Everyone agrees that, uh, that nobody had a bas mitzvah in Judaism before about 200 years ago, at the earliest. So, the, so, the, so, so it, it was an innovation, and Judaism is always very suspicious of innovation, especially if it is something that seems to be adjacent to the customs of the non-Jews. So... One of the most famous treatments of Bas Mitzvah was by Rabbi Chil Yaakov Weinberg. Rabbi Chil Yaakov Weinberg was one of the Gedolei Hadar, and, and he, he was very familiar both with the, the German ideas, the, the Hersheyan ideas, the, the ideas of German orthodoxy, but he also, he, he was also familiar with, uh, he, he was also a first-rate Talmudist and Halachist, and he also was very familiar with the ideas of the yeshiva world, between two worlds, as Mark Shapiro says. So Rabbi Chil Yaakov Weinberg has a major lengthy tshuva on the subject of bas mitzvah, in which he says, on the one hand, he doesn't deny that it's an innovation. He, he doesn't deny that old-time religion, traditional Judaism, never had bas mitzvahs. Not clear exactly why. That's a t- subject for a different time. But it, it is indisputable that bas mitzvah is not, is not traditional, he says. However, we need it, he says. And he, and he uses the same language as the Chavetz Chaim, he says. Maybe they didn't have it uh, hundreds of years ago, he says. They didn't need it because the girls were raised in, 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 in home environments suffused with tradition. There was no competition for that. There, there, there was no magnetism pulling them away from that, he says. It, a girl would be perfectly happy and perfectly committed to her to Torah and to Yiddishkeit without the need for these kinds of external stimuli and, and, and ceremonies. Today, he says, the girls go to school and they get so much of their culture and education from non-Jewish schools or from non-religious schools, he says. He was, he was writing to a community in France about this, where the apparently a, a more assimilated community. 
because today the girls need this, he says. Kids need this, he says. Kid, kids can't be counted on to just, to just keep the religion out of, uh, out of habit, he says. That, 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 that the world is not what it used to be, he says. The world is very different. Today we need every, every, uh, every mechanism we can to bolster pride and uh, Jewish identity, he says. So today it's absolutely crucial that we, that, that we should have bar and bas mitzvahs and even, even bas mitzvahs as well. And therefore he says, we, therefore he says that, that we absolutely should have bas mitzvahs and, the, and, and, and therefore we absolutely should have bas mitzvahs. And that's the point the Chavetz Chaim makes as well about the teaching girls Torah as well. Even if, even if there was once a time where it was, it was, it was, it was workable, it, was, it made sense, it was possible to not teach girls Torah, that would not be possible in today's society. It would cause havoc among the religiosity of girls. It would be devastating for the continuity of the Masara. And therefore, he says, we absolutely have to teach girls at least some Torah. Again, which Torah the Chabad is, is very careful. He, he focuses primarily on Torah Shabbat He does mention Musr and the Agada of Chazal, but he, uh, even that, he kind of limits that to the more Agadic uh, and Midrashic parts of Chazal. But even the Chabad as traditional as they come, was uh, wholeheartedly endorsed the idea that we must teach women Torah today. Not everyone Rabbi, agreed. Rabbi. Yes. I think that's a very good point. I think that's a crucial point. The, 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 she, she is pointing out that the Chavetz Chaim is, is, is making an argument. He's, he's, he's pointing out the pressing need for teaching Torah. And then he's giving specific conclusions which applied, which he thought were sufficient for his time, to teach them Tanakh and teach them some, uh, some Agadah. But uh, the, the question is, the, 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 the motivating force in the Chavetz Chaim's logic is we need to kind of override the traditional rules in order to in order to keep them alive with, with Torah and tradition and, uh, and godliness and so on. So if you have a community where, where whatever factors existed in the Chavetz Chaim's time have gotten worse, or whatever term you want to use, they've gotten more extreme, and, 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 in, and in the judgment of the Chacham of that time, they, they think more is needed, can we argue that the Chavetz Chaim might agree that we can go even further? And that's a very acute uh, question. I don't have a complete answer for you. It's the, it certainly is plausible, I think, for one to argue that, yes, we could go further. On the other hand, it, it is a controversial topic, and the Chavetz Chaim mentioned he's willing to go that far. The, the, in, in general, the, the, your, 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 your point raises another question as well, which is, it, it seems from all this that we're not, we're not dealing with an Isser that's as black and white as something like keeping kosher or putting on tefillin. Nobody's going to say that, well, because you know, we need to keep our girls motivated, so we're going to suspend kashras today. We're going to say, you know, if we don't let them eat, uh, go to uh, you know, shelf, seafood restaurants, they're not going to want to stay from, so let's compromise on that. That's not orthodoxy anymore. That, that, that's what other movements of the non-orthodox movements did, but that, that's not orthodoxy anymore. To, to sacrifice you know, clear-cut halachas on the ground, there is such a thing as a harasha. There are cases we do that as well, but that's very, very rare. To, to, you know, to, to just abrogate a, a black-and-white halacha because we feel that it's really a good idea to do so, is not something we do. The, the fact that the Chavetz Chaim is willing to even countenance these types of arguments indicates that we're not dealing with a halacha quite the same thing as the laws of Shabbos or the laws of Kashrus. We're dealing with a more, a more flexible, more in, not less important, but, but something which is a little bit less, uh, which is somewhat less cut and dried and rigorous. And another line of, and I'll return to this in a moment, but another line of argument is, we find, nobody disagrees, we find throughout Jewish history there were women who learned. They were very much the exception and, and who achieved fairly substantial levels of scholarship. There's no question that they were a tiny minority and they were the exceptions that proved the rule, but they existed and they were not criticized and they were not controversial. Now, just to quote a couple of the better known examples, the, there, 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 there's a book I, I, I used to have at my parents' house, I think, 
I think I forget who wrote it, but it was it was titled "And All Thy Children Shall Be Learned." It was a it was, it was a history of the it was a history of, of Torah study among women, and it had two parts. It had one part where it surveyed women who learned from Talmudic times, with that, that uh, women who learned from Talmudic times down to the present day, and the second half was it was a treatment of the or the other half was, was a treatment of the. Was, was a treatment of the, of the halacha that we're discussing tonight, the, the, the various sources about women, the various sources about, about women learning Torah. And again, so the, 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 there's no question you can play up all these, all these famous women as much as you want. There, there, there's no question that they are the exception that proves the rule. They, they were a tiny, tiny, tiny minority. But the fact is they existed. It's by, uh, by a woman named Shoshana Pantel Zelti. With all the, and all your children shall be learned, women and the study of the Torah in Jewish law and history. And the book is pretty much what it says on the tin, in Jewish law and Jewish history. And have, to have sections devoted to both. So these women, these were famous women, and they were not controversial. No, no, nobody, nobody challenged what they did. Nobody, nobody said, wait a minute, you're not allowed to do that. One of them was an ancestor of Rav Shlomo Luria. Rav Shlomo Luria, the marshal, was one of the outstanding Polish acronym from the 16th century. He, he quotes his father. He says, uh, his grandfather, he says, his grandfather of Yochanan Luria had a book where he discussed the family history. He says, I, Yochanan, am the son of Aaron. Aaron is the son of Nisanel, the Rabbi Nisanel. Rabbi Nisanel is the son of Rabbi Yechiel. Rabbi Yechiel is the son of uh, a Rabbi Avram or Aaron Shimshon of airport. And he was the son of Ben Harabanit Maras Miriam. He was the son of Rebetzin Miriam, who was the daughter of the Gon Shlomo Shapiro, and the sister of Rabbi Peretz, uh, Rabbi Peretz and so on and so forth. And, that go, and then they go all the way back to Rashi from there, he says, we have a very distinguished yichus. One of the, one of the links in the chain of his yichus was a prominent Rebetzin, he says. And this woman, he says, his, his grandfather wrote, his, his, he says his grandfather wrote in this, in this uh, genealogical record, his grandfather wrote that this Rabbanit Mir, Maras Miriam, she toughs a yeshiva, she headed a yeshiva for years, days and years. She sat in a tent and she had a machitza, apparently for modesty. She didn't want to just sit in the full view of the boys, but she, she had a yeshiva, she headed a yeshiva. V'amra halacha, she gave a share in halacha before bachurim muflagim, before elite young men. She taught the elite young men she was a rosh yeshiva. And Marshal commented, he was very proud of this apparently. He, was, he thought this was noteworthy, he was proud of this, and he records this without comment. The fact that she was apparently, she had reached a level of Torah scholarship sufficient to teach the, the outstanding young men is uh, in no way uh, a violation of halacha, apparently. The, another, even, perhaps even more famous example, is the Rebetzin Bela. Rebetzin Bela was the wife of Rabbi Yeshua Falk, or Pollock. Rabbi Yeshua, Pollock, Rabbi Yeshua Falk was the, was the author of the Prisha and Drisha on the Tur and the Sma on Shulchan Aruch, one of the outstanding early early Polish achronim, a student of the Ramah. So his son, Rabbi Yosef Volk, writes in the introduction to, to part of his father's commentary, he says, he writes about his father, how great his father was, and he writes, and he, and he really has to devote a page or two, he says, to his mother as well. His mother was apparently an outstanding woman. She was outstanding in her piety, in her dedication, in her selflessness, in her religiosity. He talks about how every day she would, even in the winter, she would get up early, before sunrise, uh, hours before sunrise, she would be the first one into shul, and she would have the keys, she would let herself into the Ezra's Nashim, she would daven for hours, she'd be the last one out, she had the keys. And then he says, and even after she finished davening, which took her a really long time, because she davened with great kavana at great length, after her davening, he says, she wouldn't uh, devote herself to frivolity, to worthless things, he says. Mechayel al she went from one mitzvah to another, she studied Torah, Osekes Betorah, it doesn't say she learned Gemara, but he says she studied Parshas Shavua with Rashi and Sharma Farshim. She, she did not study in just you know, some, kind of, uh, some kind of anthology for women. She studied, sounds like, primary sources, the tr- traditional commentaries, Rashi and the other commentaries. Everyone knew this, he says. Anyone who attended my father's Shabbos table, he says, they knew that when they discussed every Torah, she would be a, she would be a prominent part of the conversation. She had her own uh, pshatim sometimes, beautiful pshatim that, that, she would, that she would relate, he says. And in halacha as well, he says, certainly in dinei nashim, halachas that were relevant to women, he says, nida, she was expert, he says, virtually like one of the poskim, virtually like one of the balehora. So she was an accomplished, uh, besides being an extremely pious woman, 
She was also a uh, scholarly woman. She studied, I, I don't know if she had translations or she was fluent in the Hebrew, but she was, uh, she, 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 she was very well versed in Chumash. She was, and she was not shy about joining the conversations when the men were there at his, his father's Talmud, her, when, when her husband's Talmudim were there. She was uh, expert in areas of halacha. She was quite expert. Doesn't say whether she actually paskined or not, but she was quite well versed in the halacha. And then he says, and then he quotes in a, in a very, very famous passage, he quotes two halachas, two specific rulings that, 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 his, that his mother, that the wife of the Sma, had uh, two halachic positions of hers, which became celebrated and uh, were the subject of much debate among the later Achronim. Both of them had to do with Shabbos candles, which is Yantov candles, which is a traditional area of interest to women. But he says that uh, his mother had two objections to the common practice and how women lit candles on Yom Tov. One of them is, he says, that on Shabbos a woman lights candles first and then makes the bracha. She, she, she puts her hands by in front of the candle, she, she lights the candles, makes the bracha, and then she removes her hands and then she, they cover their face, whatever they do, but the, they don't make the bracha until after they light and there's reasons for that, because the bracha is considered Kabbalah Shabbos, and once she's in Kabbalah Shabbos, she can't light the candles anymore. That's why they don't make the bracha till after they light. However, says Rebetzin Bela, on Yom Tov, you're allowed to light candles on Yom Tov, he says. So on Yom Tov, why shouldn't they make the bracha first? We always make the bracha first. Every mitzvah we make the bracha first. Bracha on Lula, bracha on anything. You always make the bracha before you do the mitzvah, usually. So he says, on Shabbos you can't, because it's a problem. But on Yom Tov you could, so you should. So on Yom Tov, he said the minog was that women made the bracha on Yom Tov after they lit candles, just like Shabbos. Says Rebetzin Bela, that is an error. Again, so some people have suggested we can teach women halacha, you shouldn't teach them the reasons, just teach them, like by rote, what they should do. No, Rebetzin Bela understood the... Rebetzin Bela had a, had, had a clear understanding of the reason for the halacha. She understood this logic of Kabbalah Shabbos. She therefore was astute enough to realize that Yom Tov was different. And therefore, she argued that on Yom Tov we should light the candles after we make the bracha. So that was her position. That was one of her two positions. And uh, then, then, she had, she, then, she had, uh, then she had another position, he says, that on Yom Tov, he says, people would, people would, people would light the candles uh, late. In Yom Tov night, people would light candles after Shul was over, after Marav was over, when people were leaving Shul and coming home. They would light candles when the husbands came home from Shul. He says, Revison Bela said, that is wrong. The second night of Yom Tov, you have to do that. In Shul, they always announce, second night of Yom Tov, don't do malacha for the second day, don't light candles before this man, which is whatever his man usually you consider Shabbos to be over, 45 minutes or whatever it is after Shkia. They announced, don't do malacha before then. So the second night of Yontif, because it's still, it's still a sveikah de yom of the first day of Yontif, you can't do malacha until, through Ben Hashmashas, you can't do malacha until 45 minutes after Shkia. But the first night of Yontif, he says, why shouldn't you light right away? You should light earlier, she says. Why, why would you wait? Why don't you cover Yontif? You, you should light as early as you can, just like on Shabbos, he says. You should be makabal uh, Yontif early. You should do it covered Shabbos. You should have the candles burning. You should do it right away. People are confusing the first night and the second night, maybe, but she said, no, the first night is different. You should light candles earlier the first night. Again, she understood not just the halacha, but the, the whole point here is that she understood, she had a, a clear grasp of the, the logic, the halachic reasoning behind it, and she therefore drew conclusions about what the halacha should be, and these were, these were her positions. There was a whole halachic literature that developed about this, whether she was right, whether she was wrong, whether she was... Uh, the, there's a, the Magen Avram, one of the great post-Kim on the Shulchan Aruch, Regarding that first din, that, that, that he said that he said that they that the uh, Bela said that they should be makabel Shabbos on Shatdan Yantif, you can makabel Yantif first because you can light candles on Yantif. So the Magen Avram said no, she should light, uh, she should do the same thing, make the bracha afterwards, even on Yantif. And he said in his expression of uh, dissent from the from Rebetzin Bela, he says that ein chachma leisha ella He quotes that same lashon, that provocative language that they told, they dismissed the woman who was trying to come with questions on Torah. Magen Avram says, ein chachma leisha ella and you're wrong. So on, on, on a superficial reading, that might sound like he means don't try to be a Talmud Chacham, you're a woman, and it's, it's, not, it's not your wheelhouse. But the Achronim actually, some Achronim understand that he meant something else. He meant that he, 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 had, he had every respect for Rebetzin Bela, but his point was, Women don't understand this. The women you're addressing, they're not all you. They don't all understand the halakha as clearly as you do. So you understand that the first night is different from the second night. You understand that the Yantav is different from Shabbos. You understand these things. But other women don't understand these things. 
And if you start telling them that on, that on Yontif do it like this, and Shabbos do it like that, and the first night Yontif do it like this, and the second night Yontif do it like that, women in general are not well-versed in Torah scholarship. So women in general don't understand this. Women in general won't appreciate these distinctions, and it'll lead to Chil Shabbos, and that's why the Magen Avram disagrees. But in any event, Achronim have gone back and forth. Achronim, there, there are a number of Achronim who have disagreed with Magen Avram and have defended Rebetzin Bela, in particular the Nodvi Yehuda, Rebbe Landau, in his Dogo Merababa, he says, Lanias Daiti Hadin, and the, the Rebbe Bela is correct, that the Yantif, she should make the bracha first and then light candles. And he has a whole argument as to why. And then he says, V'chein nearly Lahoros, this is how I would paskin, like, the, like Rebbe Bela. And as opposed to the Magen Avrams, we use the language of Ein Chachma Leisha El Bepelach, he says, on the contrary, He Isha Nasa Liba she's an example of a woman who is Nasa Liba Bechachma. She was uh, inspired by true Chachma in, in, this, in this area. She is correct, and she got the halacha correctly. So again, so it's, it's late. I'm just going to finish up here. But again, we can, we can go for hours on this topic. The, the bottom line is, the Talmud is the, the mainstream of Jewish tradition. Historically, has been strongly against women learning Torah. The reasons, as we said, are a little bit obscure. But the, the, that, the, the halacha, the Rambam, the Shulchan Aruch, are strongly opposed to women learning Torah. That has somewhat changed Bizman Azeh. First of all, there was always a sense that they have to learn Torah relevant to them, particularly today, where due to the changes in society, these things have changed. The, 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 there is a pretty widespread consensus that women have to learn Torah. How much Torah? The Chavetz Chaim said certain examples. Should that itself have to be upgraded today? That, that's a very important question. There were those who pushed back against the Chavetz Chaim, the Klosenberger Rav and Divrei Yatsiv, felt that with all due respect to the Chavetz Chaim, it's difficult to overturn hundreds and hundreds of years of tradition, but even he agrees they should learn something. He just felt they shouldn't learn primary sources as much. They should learn carefully, uh, carefully made extracts of the material. But pretty much everyone today agrees that women have to learn Torah. It's crucial to develop, uh, to develop you know, re- religious personalities among women. They have to learn Torah. Exactly what Torah they learn, how much Torah, Torah Shabal Ped, Torah Shabal what type of Torah, that's something about which there is still uh, considerable difference of opinion as you cross uh, the line from one community to the next. But the bottom line is, this is an example of a halacha which is no longer applied quite as strictly as it used to be, which again may suggest that it's something that never was as cut and dried as, as it was, or it could just be as other halachas, or it could just be a, a major harasha. But clearly today we do teach women Torah, and the differences in communities are about what which Torah and in, in what style, but clearly today women do have to learn Torah.